Hey everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I love what I do. I'm so grateful for you guys being here. So grateful for your time. I frame this podcast always around living our greatest life in a body we love. That means challenging common belief. That means seeking out the best people in the industry and learning the most applicable items that we can implement right now to thrive. Body, mind, soul. And today's guest is Nick Pionot. He's known as the EMF guy. And this is a really controversial topic that I think hits home for a lot of us because we're hearing these controversial opinions on whether EMFs and particularly 5G is going to be detrimental to our health. And in my eyes, the most importantly, maybe the development of our children and future generations nervous systems. I think this is a really important topic for us to get to the bottom of. Nick absolutely schools me when it comes to understanding EMF and all the things that go into it and what we really need to know and whether or not it actually is as negative and insidious as many people seem to think it is. As I said, this is a really, really serious topic. If this is not something that's on your mind right now, I highly suggest you listen to this podcast and don't miss a minute because it's massively impacts your health and your longevity and the health of your family and children and everyone around you. And this is real, ladies and gentlemen. So without further ado from me, I want to introduce you to the EMF guy, Nick Pinot. You can find him at the emfguy.com. I'm absolutely grateful for him giving us his time and wisdom. He spent the last few years really, really diving into this. Now, this podcast is brought to you by Blue Blocks. So if you guys haven't already noticed, for probably the last nine months, I've been wearing blue blocking glasses more or less every day after sun goes down, You know, whether it be 6 p.m., 7 p.m., some type of blue blocking glasses are going on my eyes. I'm also wearing them when I'm sitting in front of my computer. And Blue Box has by far the most stylish blue blockers on the market. We've all seen those people walking around that look like they should have a tinfoil hat on their head and look kind of silly wearing their blue blockers. But Blue Box has really, really stylish glasses. Some of them are clear. You have yellow, you have red. And went out and found the gentleman who created this company and realized that he's got a really true passion for understanding the negative implications of light and how it's impacting our biology. And we have a lot of really interesting podcasts coming up around uh, how light is directly influencing your circadian rhythms and your sleep and your brain your and the way your brain works. So I highly suggest that you guys consider heading over to blueblocks.com slash muscle intelligence and picking up a pair of blue blocks amazing shades. So personally, I'm wearing the clear ones when I'm sitting at my computer. I'm wearing the yellow ones or uh, if I'm driving at night or something and I have these really bright lights glaring into my eyes. And the only time I'll ever wear the red ones is if I'm either in front of the computer or in front of a television after the sun has gone down. So after 7 or 8 p.m. And without doubt, not getting any blue light or any bright lights at all into my eyes after 9 or 10 p.m. And if I absolutely have to, then red light, red light blocking glasses are imperative. Bluebox.com slash muscle intelligence, and that's going to get you hooked up for 15% off. And you can also use the code muscle. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Nick Pinot. If you do, as always, remember to share it with at least one person you know and love. Enjoy the show. How you doing, man? I'm great. Yourself? Are you in Eastern Canada? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm in Montreal. Oh, nice. Uh, is it cold yet? Well, it's like six degrees or something, 10 degrees. So, it's getting there. Yeah. So, it's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And you've been traveling, right? Your assistant was saying you've been kind of all over the world? Yeah. I've been traveling for uh, several years with my wife, Jan. She's a co-CEO of our company and we've been... Uh, just roaming around since 2015 really we spent months in paris and then we did uh, an entire year in 2016 basically in about 10 countries a lot of eastern europe asia and uh, just working online you know so the the, the kind of laptop lifestyle where <laughs> you're all, all all the time at the computer but you don't get to see any of the country so eventually we we, we tried to uh, to manage how much we work to to kind of balance that out and uh and try to uh, build our own online business at the same time. Very cool. And the online business primarily is teaching people about EMF. Is that what it's it's yes. kind of uh, with the direction? Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, the book, uh, the Non Tinfoil Guide to EMS, that uh, I launched in. It was 
early 2017, the first ebook version that I released. And after that, it was Amazon in November. And uh, last year was the course for health professionals who really asked us for more information about the MS and what has been published uh, by uh, other professionals as far as symptoms and, and a lot of things that let's say are not uh, are not happily recognized in the mainstream but there's a there's actually actual science published on that like the the, the Austrian Medical Association of all things this governmental agency has an entire document about EMF related sickness so they believe it's an issue it turns out so this is the kind of information that I built the course based off uh, in collaboration with other people like Dr. Dietrich Klinghart and, and other international uh, scientists and collaborators so that's that's really been a journey and now I'm just continuing to spread the message is such a underrated issue you know yeah, and you know, so I'll tell you, you and I crossed paths many years ago in a completely different space than you're in now, and now uh, you're in this. And to be honest, how I knew you were doing this was from a very, very reputable source. So I have a friend who's a CIA, uh, pre- previous CIA operative, and he's like, "Hey, you need to check this guy out because he oh actually my knows God. what he's I'm talking un- I'm about." I'm under scrutiny. So that's yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know the, the fact because there's a lot of people out there saying yeah. EMFs is no big deal, right? So, and I'm always kind of on the fence. I'm like, well, is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Because I've had people come on the podcast and say, yeah. ah, don't worry about it. It's not going to do anything. And then you get people like Dr. Mercola who are just yeah. neurotic about it. And I was like, okay, well, what what is the truth, right? So that's why I want to have you on is, is someone who's actually making this their life. Uh, I know you're a very smart guy. I know you're a very passionate guy. So I wanted to get down to kind of the, the truth behind is this stuff actually causing a problem? So where I want to start is, can you tell us what they what EMFs actually do to our body? Because I don't think people understand. So in what way has it been shown to cause negative health effects? And what is it actually doing? Sure, so uh, EMFs, just, just to clarify what we're talking about, we're talking about the electromagnetic fields, but especially the ones emitted, because there's a lot of things that could be called an EMF. I mean, the sun has different frequencies. We know that uh, UV, for example, is a frequency emitted by the sun that's invisible, just like your cell phone signal, but it can have beneficial effects for vitamin D production. It can have uh, detrimental effect, burning your skin, increasing your, well, oxidative damage and creating uh, cancer risks and whatnot. Uh, and my work is around the new fields that we've been exposing ourselves with uh, in just the last hundred years, starting with household electricity. Uh, before that, not a lot of people had access to these fields around them. Just the fact that we have electricity in the home actually affects our biology. Uh, but in the last 20 years, especially the last 10 with the advent of the iPhone in 2007, uh, it, it's really the EMF submitted by your phone, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, in, in the range is called radio frequency. And not a lot of people know that, but uh, there's no denying that our exposure has increased tremendously. And most people don't, they think maybe it's, it's a thousand times or it's a million times compared to before, but it's actually a quintillion times the increase that we've seen in the last hundred years. Uh, so that's uh, 10 to the 18th, uh, a billion billions, in, in other words. So now it doesn't say anything about the health effects, but it's just a fact that uh, compared to ancestral background levels in these frequencies, we're in, the, in a very different spot. So it's a new agent. It's a new factor that uh, we're only only left guessing how it will affect us um, on a very long-term basis. For example, uh, after many generations, uh, anyone who claims, well, we we figured out everything about EMS. Well, I mean, 4G, for example, has been has been around for 15 years. Uh, or, or something like that. I could be mistaken about the exact date, but it's more than 10. Uh, so 10 years is not enough to see, for example, brain cancer uh, latency. It could be up to 50 years or more. I know that uh, there's something published a few years back that looked at the Hiroshima survivors. And decades and decades and decades later, they are still seeing an increase in cancer from this one event. So it's not accurate to to say that we can pretend knowing all the consequences of what we're doing right now. And my my work is is a work based on uh, skepticism towards uh, public health. To be quite honest, because I saw, I mean, I wasn't around when asbestos was used everywhere, but I saw my parents' generation, for example, still using asbestos or lead paint, lead paint for for homes and uh, leaded gasoline and a lot of different technologies or agents that we've introduced in the past. And where public health as 
eventually caught up with the science, but it was sometimes 100 years too late or later. And the consequences, for example, of asbestos use are still seen. Uh, it's, it's thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of, of deaths every year just from asbestos. So it's, I find it just silly and, and, and revolting that uh, we're, we're still in a spot where we introduce new technologies and we say, don't worry, guys, <laughs> there's nothing to see here. And then later on, we do epidemiology studies that say, well, these guys use their cell phones like that, and these guys died from brain cancer. And uh, thank you, guys. This was the experiment. Now we know it's dangerous, so we're going to learn better. I, I find it just just grave that we're in, in a spot where some people are, some people will end up being hurt by by this technology so that's that was really my background I've been writing about health for for 10 years online and as a really self-made digital journalist or author whatever you want to call it just as a citizen scientist looking at the the issues that um, I felt needed to be brought forward but EMF for me was really something that uh, shocked me to the core because I realized oh my god not only is this pretty serious because there's literally six billion uh, cell phone users that might be affected it's, it's more uh, it's a technology that's used on such a wide scale that if we fail to protect the users we're going to have a lot of people being hurt compared to other technologies that were more isolated in certain countries or certain situations so it's a global exposure and also a lot of people think it's a non-issue. So that makes it more dangerous if uh, a, a large fraction of the scientific community or medical community or the average person on the street does, does not believe that their cell phone can affect them in any way whatsoever. So how, how does your cell phone affect you, right, as a question? Well, it, there's, there's a, a few mechanisms that could be at play here. There's uh, a, a guy called Dr. Martin Paul, P-A-L-L, from the Washington State University. His work is around uh, really how EMFs can affect us on a cellular level. And there's, the reason that most people think it's a non-issue is, is because these EMFs, let's say in the cell phone range of frequencies, uh, are, are what's called non-ionizing radiation and the whole debate starts there because you've got non-ionizing radiation and you've got ionizing radiation the kind of radiation that we know can damage dna directly so that's why is that important well at one point we realized that ionizing radiation will break dna directly uh, and this is an issue because it means every time you're getting exposed to ionizing radiation one such example is x-rays you're accumulating a damage that over time will increase your cancer risk. So this is why we're still using these, uh, we're still using different types of rays that are ionizing, but in just the right amount where the benefits outweigh the risks. Uh, you're getting an x-ray for a good reason. I got an x-ray of my, uh, my, sp my, well, my entire spine and I discovered, wow, okay, I need a chiropractor big time. I need these treatments and I could see it clearly. So there was a benefit for that, but we don't abuse x-rays because we know there are downsides. Non-ionizing radiation, such as we're just uh, for example, daylight, so all the visible spectrum, part of the invisible spectrum to infrared, and we have cell phones and we have household electricity, all of this is non-ionizing. So the thought at first was, well, there's the only way that this non-ionizing radiation could really harm us is if it overheats tissue. Either it causes kind of a, a mild fever effect where the body is off balance because it, it overheats us or maybe it overheats your testes so uh, it can damage your sperm through overheating or kind of destroying or um, displacing the homeostasis that was in the body because well, the body is a very uh, fine-tuned machine, as, as you know, Ben, because you're such an expert about your own body. So it, it's, it's really what was thought to be the mechanism. So the, the safety standards were set based on these assumptions that only heating matters. So the, the standards we have at the moment, they prevent us from uh, basically being overheated from the inside out because these are microwave radiation signals. So just like your microwave oven at a very, very high power will literally cook food from the inside out, uh, it, the same thing is happening with your cell phone, but at maybe a, 
a thousandth of the power. So it cannot really cook you. And that was a safety standard. We don't want people to get hurt. Uh, that was logical. The problem is that in, in in science, there's really it really hasn't caught up with the idea that the body is bioelectrical and that on the cell membrane you have a membrane potential. In the cells, you have mitochondria, and this is an entire new area of medicine from the last 20 years that's opening up the importance of mitochondrial health and the fact that there's uh, a millions of volts uh, of of uh, of potential how do they call it electrical put potential inside the mitochondria so it's it's crazy that on uh, on on a, on a cellular level and even going down in quantum biology there's a lot of things that function with electricity and some say that even electromagnetic fields in the body might uh might rule over uh, biology over the molecules because it's faster, it's lightning speed. So there's, and of course, I mean, the heart emits EMFs, the brain emits brain waves. So we know a lot of these things are recognized, but uh, what are the consequences of introducing foreign signals in the environment and how is it affecting different sensors we might have on the cell or in the mitochondria, sensors that sense for signals coming from the body coming from the environment and uh, and is it really is it really affecting us and what dr paul uh, said to kind of close the loop here here is that he found several several studies on rats where the rats were exposed to uh, to EMFs and added effect, and then it gave them calcium uh, channel blocking drugs. Uh, or the researchers, he's not, he, he didn't do the research, but he quoted uh, twenty six studies about rats. Uh, so these calcium channel blocking drugs nullified the effects of EMFs or greatly reduced them. And what does it tell us? Well, digging deeper into mechanisms, it means that the calcium channels are probably key in understanding how these EMFs affect us. So what does it, this, this all mean? Well, it's not that the cell is directly impacted, the DNA is broken by a direct signal. It is, uh, it is opening these calcium channels and disrupting the calcium flow. Uh, what, what's happening is that normally there's a, a huge calcium gradient in and out of the cell. So you have a lot of calcium outside and very little inside and this is this is just the way a cell works in homeostasis and there's shuttle inside shuttle outside but the emfs and there there happens to to uh, a lot of different emfs seem to be um going through this mechanism any, anywhere from household electricity to cell phones is that the the basically it, it breaks the it breaks the channel it, it breaks the sensors on the channel and they stay stuck open so this is an artificial shuttle of calcium inside a cell and the, what what is the consequences of that it is the creation of a reactive nitrogen species called uh, peroxynitrite and peroxynitrite is an extremely tiny molecule in fact it's it's one of the the centerpiece of mitochondrial disease according to uh, the, the last studies and the most important study on the on the topic uh it's um dr mercola who really pointed me towards the study is paul patcher pal patcher from 2007 talking about peroxynitrite in health and human health so our understanding is just starting out but we've been using uh, cell phones for a lot of time and some people in the 80s so this new understanding about uh, what's happening well peroxynitrite it causes oxidative stress and dna damage so these effects can be said to be uh, indirect so overall it is a stressor on the cellular and mitochondrial level uh, and we don't know what else in the human body could it directly impact because we are a big bundle of bacteria and different sensors and different marvelous pieces of technology that uh, are exposed to quintillion times more chaotic signals that have not been built with this bioelectrical being that we have in mind. So peroxynitrite, I haven't dug into the research that much, but my understanding, especially after talking with Dr. Mercola, is that it's the smallest 
molecule that is a reactive nitrogen species. Uh, so among all the molecules that could damage the human body, on a cellular standpoint, why is it so pernicious? Is that it's so small that it can travel into the cell nucleus. It can travel inside a mitochondria because it's so small. So it's likely that peroxynitrite is even more important than a lot of molecules that were taught previously to be very important. And peroxynitrite doesn't, the way that Dr. Paul talked about it in a recent interview is that it doesn't directly damage anything, but it creates hydroxyl free radicals that create. So it's, again, there's a lot of downstream stuff happening that's over my head. I'm not a a PG in biology or anything like that. If you're a geek about that, I mean, Paul Patcher, it's 140 pages of geekiness about peroxynitrite. So the consequences of that are really widespread. You know, peroxynitrite is also center of TBI, traumatic brain injury. I read a paper about that the other day. and I'm like, okay, so a lot of it comes down to peroxynitrite when you look at how different things affect us. Even ionizing radiation, in fact, that's again, Dr. Mercola, who helped me understand this, ionizing radiation does directly break DNA, but most of the damage happens after the DNA has been broken because of peroxynitride that's created. So it's actually the same mechanism that non-ionizing has of uh, harming the human health as ionizing in some sense. And you've got a few organizations that agree with that. I cannot remember the title of this organization, but it's an international standards organization from Europe who look at non-ionizing radiation exposure. And lately they declared, okay, well, we need a standard that resembles nuclear radiation. So there's a certain amount of nuclear radiation that was considered or deemed, let's say, quote unquote, safe. It's probably zero is probably the safest amount, but let's say one that is reasonable. And we should have a system like that for cell phone exposure. If I remember correctly, they don't recommend more than 30 minutes of Wi-Fi use per day or something like that would go over their limit. And I mean, it's much, much, much higher the amount that the average person exposes themselves to. The second part of your question was about what can you do about peroxynitrite? Well, the first thing would be to avoid exposure or reduce exposure because the exposure really, uh, the damage seems to be cumulative and coming from all directions. So generally what I recommend is, well, just try to Either it's a reduction of time or elimination of certain devices. You know, the computer I'm sitting in front of is wired. So I have an Ethernet cable running from my Wi-Fi router about 35 feet in this direction. (laughs) And it's running in the corridor. Very soon, we're going to do the works to put it inside the walls. But it's something that you can still do. And this computer that I have right now, well, when I use it in my office, I'm not moving around. I'm not kind of playing around with it. I'm not using it on a couch or in other situations. So there's really no need for me to be on Wi-Fi. And moreover, when I was on Wi-Fi, when we entered this condo two years ago, it didn't pick up the signal. So instead of purchasing a Wi-Fi router that's even stronger, which is what the average user would do, like I want three antennas and it fills out your home with these EMFs because literally if you have signal, you have EMFs in this room. And if you have good signal, it means you have a lot of EMFs in this room. So you're kind of polluting your environment. It's just in the air. It's a bit silly. Instead, you can have the signal inside the cable and it stays inside the cable. So that's one way that you can do it. And it really comes down to reduction of the sources that you have more control over. So you are in control of what kind of wearables as an athlete listening to this will use. Or if you're using your phone and your training you can put it on airplane mode, pre-download music, pre-download podcasts, and then you're not exposing yourself. You're not kind of streaming. My data plan is unlimited. Fine. But it means that you're exposing yourself. Maybe it's in your pocket. Maybe it's, it's strapped to your arm. Wherever it is, you're just increasing your global exposure. And then there's, of course, unavoidable exposure. I'm getting here in my room, I'm getting cell phone signals that are 
very, very strong. And cell phone radiation is very strong towards my condo because we're on the third floor. So it's not convenient. I'm probably going to do something about that in the near future, kind of shield the room, but that's advanced. But for the sake of this conversation, you just control what you have control over, especially if you are just getting into the topic and you don't feel that it's something urgent for you. But at the same time, you want to protect yourself. You know, what is the right amount of pesticides in your diet. Well, I mean, the ideal amount is probably zero, right? But at the same time, I don't test every single veggie I have. I try to eat organic. I've subscribed to these CSA, community shared agriculture things where I have farm fresh food every week. So, and I know they're not using pesticides. So it's the same approach, I think. And depending on your own constitution and how sensitive you might be to pesticides, like some people might say, oh my God, I'm chemically sensitive. And that that's actually, that's a real thing where people can be very allergic to perfume or even mold toxins in the environment, or even very sensitive to what they're eating. Uh, people who are celiac are very allergic to certain foods. Well, you got to take more steps to protect yourself and not have bread or not have these pesticides or live in a very, very clean air home, have air filters or something like that, or not have mold around or live in a certain part of the world that's not Florida if you don't want more mold or places that are prone to drought. I mean, it really comes down to your own constitution. So this is why you have a, f- a fraction of the population that's fairly large that is more sensitive to these signals or that has more symptoms. In which case, what's recommended is to do more and to use less of these wireless technologies, go wired, and even live in the countryside or in a cleaner environment where you don't have these exposures. Right. So that's where I want to go next. So you talked about shielding your room because that's important. And you know, especially the place you're sleeping, I'd love for you to just dive into what are those additional strategies you can use to start blocking yourself you know, in the places that matter most, like home and work and and et cetera. Sure. So the first thing you want to do is you enter your your bedroom and look at everything that's electronic. And if it has a Bluetooth capability, if it can be technically connected to anything else wirelessly, you probably have an issue. The first thing I tell people is, well, your cell phone needs to be off or on airplane mode during the night. If you want to expect calls at night, maybe you're a parent, you have teenage kids that are going out and you feel stressed about kind of going off the grid for an entire night, that's okay. But have a hard landline and the good old phone that's corded and that's it. You know that this is your emergency line, kind of the red phone in your room, if you will. Or you can put your cell phone in another room with the ringer on at maximum level. You will hear it in case of emergency. So that's one thing. But there's also multiple sources. You know, the average bedroom now has multiple devices. There's a laptop that's open during the night. Oh, I'm just downloading this movie during the night. Well, it's on Wi-Fi and it's kind of polluting your environment. There's your wearables that are charging in the corner. There's your alarm that's connected via Bluetooth, or even if it's not connected, that's a crazy thing. Even if you don't use the Bluetooth option on your alarm clock, if it has the Bluetooth capability, all the alarm clocks I've tested throughout the world in hotel rooms emit 24-7. So in other words, you have a chip inside this alarm clock that says, hey, I'm here just in case you need me. I'm looking for a phone. I'm looking for a phone. And even if you're like, no, no, I'm not going to use this capability, it's still emitting. So it's a miniature Wi-Fi router, a miniature cell phone that's right there next to your head. So you want to get these devices either out of the bedroom, unplug them, and just create a sanctuary. Just imagine your room and imagine you're in the middle of of the forest. What devices would you have access to? Nothing. Just some grass and or (laughs) I mean, just nature. So just unplug everything. You can even turn off the circuit breaker to the room. And that's something that some people say is extreme. I mean, I do it every night and you actually have less electricity running through your body if you do that. What is the real benefit of that? Well, most people feel deeper sleep. It's an equal one experiment. Everyone has to run their own experiment, you know, but again. How are you testing that, Nick? The, the electricity, like how you, te- you have machines to test how much electricity goes yeah. through your body? You can have certain meters that measure body electricity. There's one from an Austrian-based clinic that's called GeoVital Academy. And they have a, they have a very expensive meter. Patrick Vanderberg from the GeoVital Academy actually visited me in Montreal and he took my body electricity while I was staying in uh, 
lying in bed. And then we turned off the specific circuit breakers throughout the home. We actually figured out which one mattered. And my electricity levels running through my body dropped tremendously because most people don't realize that. But the, the electricity in the walls doesn't stay in the wall. There's leakage up to six to eight feet. And that's called an electrical field. And the effects of those, well, we're only left guessing because we haven't been using electricity for 500 years. And it's not like it's researched a lot, but there's an impact on deep sleep that's arguable in melatonin production. And in the building biology profession, which is a profession based in Germany originally, but there's a huge movement in the States, they look at what factors inside your home can make you a healthier person or maybe a detriment to your health. They look at air quality, mold presence, or lack thereof, a radon, but also electromagnetic fields. And their recommendation is that, is what I'm telling you about. So that's based on these, let's say, EMF engineers or engineers of what makes a home healthy that tell you, well, on a preventative basis, let's reduce these fields that are, let's say, not quote unquote natural to the minimum that we can have. And you can do it on an automatic fashion every night, well, just with a little remote control with something called an EMF kill switch. So that's something you can do. And that's actually a safer way to do it because after a while, after a few years, if you turn breakers on and off, you'll have to replace them or make sure that they're still functioning. It's not something natural to do with your breakers. There's a disclaimer because some engineers have, have contacted me about that. That's intelligent to kind of have an electrician look at those. But an EMF kill switch is even better. But once you have done that, I mean, if you don't have electricity in your room, you have removed everything from your room, then all you're left with is whatever is ambient emitted by, let's say, the cell towers outside or even the neighbors, right? So to shield against those, well, now we're talking about another level of, let's say, EMF intervention. And it exists. Before we go on, can you just give us the one example or maybe your your favorite source of where we get the EMF kill switch? Because I think people will be like, well, where do I get that? Do I just throw it on Amazon and find out? Or can I, do you actually have a recommended source? There's a company that I think is legit. I've seen them being vendors in EMF conferences, and I've, I've heard a few good things. So emfkillswitch.com, quite simply. I don't know the owners. I don't remember who they are, but I mean, it's legit. It's an entire system that can be installed by an electrician. Fairly quick setup, so it shouldn't cost a lot. But I think it's a good investment of money just to turn off, especially if you own the place. Here in my condo, I, I don't own it. We're going to leave in, well, in a few years. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm still going to shield the room. And that's, if you want me to address that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. What you can do to shield the room, well, if you have all these signals coming from all direction, normally shielding will be on all sides. So all walls and the ceiling normally will be done. So you create what's called a Faraday cage, literally like the inside of your microwave oven that is uh, laced with a stainless steel that's punctured, that's a Faraday cage. So it keeps the signal inside. Technically, there's a lot of leakage for microwave ovens, but the goal is to go as low as possible on an EMF standpoint, especially when it comes to electrical fields and also cell phone towers. So it can eliminate a lot of these EMFs. And what you would do is two different options here. There's a paint that you can apply to the wall that's carbon-based and that will reflect outside EMFs. And this means that if you have a shielded room, you don't want to use your cell phone inside because you'll have a very hard time getting a signal. And in fact, you'll get more exposure kind of bouncing off the wall, literally like as if you have mirrors <laughs> on your wall. So it is a decision that you make for the long term Like, okay, we will not use our devices in the room, which is, I mean, it's great for relationships. It's great for, for sleep. It's great for all sorts of other reasons to not bring your cell phone in the bedroom. So that's one thing. And then for if you had a window, well, usually you do have a window, you can use EMF shielding curtains that are made with fabric, sometimes that are intertwined with silver, or sometimes it's uh, different types of stainless steel or other materials that are blocking EMFs. Or there is also clear film that you could apply to the windows. So there and again, building biologists, the geovital consultants, or even the, there's a third company that's emerging called Shielded Healing. My buddy Brian Hoyer is starting that with a few consultants that are roaming around North America. Are those the earphones you have on right now? 
these headphones, they're what's called air tube headset. I had three or four pairs of them. They always break. So I just stopped using them. <laughs> these are okay. They're from a Swedish company that I haven't looked into the product and to name their brand yet comfortably, but they're not the right fit in my ear, but I use them nonetheless. I haven't found a very comfortable pair. And that's like, maybe I have to manufacture it, like find something that is actually unbreakable, like high quality air tubes. But the idea with those is, is just that, again, you don't have any EMFs going in, in your ear. You don't have electricity going to your ear. You literally are listening to a tin can with a wire, so to speak. The quality is okay. I haven't found these to be extremely like for audio fills, but it's good enough for everyday use. And just going back to the shielded room, if you really want to do that, but let's say you're on a smaller budget, you could use a bed canopy. So that's literally a mosquito net that you would use over your bed. For my wife, this idea, I know Patrick Vanderberg kind of mentioned that during, <laughs> it was here in my home and he's like, yeah, you can use that, these drapes over the bed. And she was like, no, it will not fit our, let's say the branding of our, of our bedroom. Sure. Even if they were pink or white or something, right? If you're into like a princess looking, I mean, it kind of right. looks a little bit fringe or bizarre, but if you're sensitive by, by any means, use that. And it just didn't fit with the kind of room style that we want. So shielding paint, I think it's more permanent. It's something you can do once and it will last for years and years and years. And of course, I, I mentioned uh, it's actually pitch black. So you paint over the shielding paint afterwards. So it, it will not look like a bizarre room or anything like that. It will look like a standard room. And sometimes if you have neighbors, like here in my condo, I have neighbors that are use Wi-Fi right underneath. So to, for maximum shielding, I would use probably a large rug and underneath it would be some shielding fabric. And there's technicalities to it, but my recommendation usually is to consult with someone, just like you would consult with an, an electrician to install the, a whole new system of lighting. Well, consult with a building biologist, someone from GeoVital or an EMF professional to know and confirm that you're doing things the right way. So you could order the paint from them, learn how to do it and just do a consult or maybe they can even rent EMF meters so you can take readings before and after. You want to make sure it's done the right way, in other words. Well, concrete blocks actually stop EMF. So like I know a lot of condos like you're living in, maybe concrete on the sides and in the bottom, will that be enough to prevent EMF transfer? Well, not prevent, but it will block a lot of the EMFs coming from the outside. Again, depending on the angle, that's the thing. Is there an opening where the signal goes through? What is the intensity, uh, the direction, and where are the nearby cell phone towers? What is the angle of the cell phone tower, right? There's a lot of different factors that make it so it's very difficult to, to give a blanket recommendation about, for example, what is the safe distance from a cell phone tower? That's something a lot of people ask me or other EMF professionals. And I'm like, well, normally if you have line of sight and you can clearly see a cell phone tower that's pointing towards your face, Usually you're at about, let's say, 100 meters or so is a very high exposure. Like this is what I have in, in my room and in, in my living room. And unfortunately, well, in Montreal, it's a city that's very low. So if I were on the ground floor, probably my exposure would be tremendously lower. But now that we're higher, we're line of sight with a lot of these towers because Montreal, most buildings are three or four stories high. Because after more than three floors, you need an elevator. And that's really why Montreal is low and extremely wide. This is really why the, the city has been built. So is that the level that most Wi-Fi towers are at is about three stories, it seems? It depends. And larger cities, are you still in Toronto? I'm in Toronto often, yeah. Toronto or Florida. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're in Tampa now. Yeah. So if there are high-rise buildings, sometimes it, it will be on the side of buildings pointing towards the street. In Toronto, I went there with my wife two weeks ago to visit, and I could see them. I mean, I'm the EMF guy, so I'm kind of looking all over the place, not looking at the beautiful buildings. I'm like, where are the towers? I'm going to spot them. The yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> yeah it's, it weighs heavily on the conscience. But anyway, I'm just curious. I'm like, okay, well, Toronto has one of the highest density of cell phone towers in the world. That's what I heard wow. from an EMF consultant. So regardless of this, if that's true or not, there were a lot of them. And sometimes they are very, very high because you provide very wide coverage to certain areas. And sometimes they will be lower. So it really varies and they will be placed. The problem is very close proximity to cell phone towers. Let's say the highest probability of, of it affecting your health tremendously. Some people might be a few dozen feet from 
a cell tower in certain situations where it's installed on the side of the building and it turns out it was your bedroom. So it really, really varies. And what is unfortunate is that, of course, all these towers are emitting in the range that's considered safe at the moment, that's considered legal and righteous. And not everyone agrees about that. And you have certain medical doctors that I follow, and especially those in functional medicine that I think are more open-minded about the idea that tell me, well, in the last years, I've come across a lot of my patients who turns out were made ill by their exposure. And that's one anecdote. But other doctors, such as Dr. Dietrich Klinghardt, who sees a lot of uh, chronic disease, so people who are let's say we could argue they are hypersensitive to everything. They are just on the verge of breaking down with autoimmunity or very, very chronic and complicated cases of disease. And he says that his first intervention is to get them in a safer EMF environment right off the bat because he realizes that EMFs are going to disrupt normal healing, whether it's, it's by keeping the body in this fight or flight mode, whether it's by preventing good sleep. There's a lot of factors. It's probably through a hundred different mechanisms, but he just figures, well, I'm going to bring you back to natural food, natural EMFs as much as possible, natural, no pesticides, natural fabric, natural blah, blah, blah. So in the end, is just going back to how things were when it looks like people were less sick with complicated things. We've complicated really what factors ails us. Now, you said keeping people out of fight or flight. Do we know or do you believe from your research that it is increasing the sympathetic arousal? So that's something that I see, right, with blue light. I see that with high amounts of EMF. Has that been documented that it's going to increase sympathetic arousal? Yeah, there's a few studies that are based on uh, proximity from a cell phone tower where you see permanent or chronic increases in adrenaline or cortisol or certain markers of stress, oxidative stress, or people that have a hard time sleeping. So there's a good amount of data on melatonin production. There's some data on increase in blood sugar. And there's some people that argue, well, the reason that we have such blood sugar issues, for sure, maybe consumption of sugar and other carbs are a problem, but it's it might be that the EMFs actually increase just because of it's a stress. So it's just like you have coffee and, and your blood sugar rises the way I, I'm told. It, it might be a chronic stressor that is contributing to our blood sugar always being elevated. So there's a lot, a lot of different angles to this that show that EMFs keep you in a state where you don't calm down for real and you don't get into this state where you can digest and relax. And I mean, this corroborates what we're seeing with the population, but there's a lot of ways that your cell phone could be doing that. Even on airplane mode, you could screw yourself up with your cell phone if you're playing a game 24-7 at night and blue light and the notifications, a lot of things. So that's just another angle to this debate of technology, but blue light is recognized. Uh, cell phone addiction is recognized. It's recognized that it's probably not a good idea to check your phone every five seconds if you want to have a, a brain, but most people do. But it's not recognized that the signal itself can be an issue. So that that's really my issue with this all is that at least if it becomes a mainstream topic of discussion, well, we can protect users and then we can spark the creation of safer cell phones. There's no denying that this can be done. But while they're still saying, oh, there's no clear evidence, this and that, we're still in the midst of new cell phones coming up, being stronger and stronger and stronger, or especially the networks becoming stronger and increasing global exposure. So we're really running towards the wrong direction as far as developing technology goes if we want it to be healthy for us. You brought up blue light, Nick, and, and how much are you paying attention to that and, and your experience? It seems like it's pretty obvious now that everyone realizes that blue light at the wrong times of the day in excess, just like EMFs is going to be a problem. But anything that you've discovered there that's interesting in your eyes? There's a lot of science on blue light, so much that my ophthalmologist that I don't think she's kind of listening to health podcasts or anything. She was like very mainstream, very classically trained. She said, well, are you avoiding blue light? I'm like, what? <laughs> what did you just ask me? And it, it turns out in ophthalmology, they know that blue light will lead to premature wear and tear 
of the retina and how they call macular degeneration. So that's one angle to it. And then there's the entire angle of circadian rhythm importance and the fact that it it will trick your body if you just open, keep the lights very bright at night or even look at devices while you're sitting in bed in the dark, you're tricking your body into thinking it's a different time of the day. So essentially, the easiest way to understand this for me is when someone I cannot quote him, I cannot remember who told me that, but it's essentially you're getting jet lagged every time you look at your phone. I think it might have been Jack Cruz, who's a really big advocate on Blue Lays, a particular person and very opinionated, but he has been hammering this message for a lot of years before it was a cool thing to do. So I applaud him for that. And he's he has a, a lot of good ideas. And what I'm doing about that is just avoiding opening the very bright lights as much as possible, especially when the sun goes down. So remember, again, our ancestors would have had access to candlelight and fire. And these are lighting sources that don't have a lot of intensity, or and especially the light color is towards the amber or red and not towards the very bright lights, the very white that contain a lot of the blue spectrum. And it's unfortunate that, again, while this is a known thing, maybe in your circles, Ben, in my circles, for me, it's a given that blue light does something. Well, the city of Montreal just installed these new lampposts everywhere and they're bright. They're so bright. They're blue, they're maximum whiteness. And I'm standing in my living room at night, even with my blue blockers. And if I'm not at the right angle, it kind of burns my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, they're so intense. So there's going to have to be a lot of work done to inform legislators and mayors and people that actually we should have amber lights in the street, even though, yeah, uh, people want to feel secure, want to see everything at night and whatnot. We know that this is bad for human beings, but also for animals, for insects. And yeah, in cities, we don't want those, but it's nature. Like we got to be careful about what we're doing to nature. And that's really another angle with even with EMLs that uh, we don't have time to get into. But what I do for me is turn off most lights and keep a few regular incandescent bulbs that usually are more in the 2700 Kelvin. That's a color temperature. So it looks a little bit more amber. That's what I keep at night. My son Elliot is a year and a half and he's a great sleeper. I like to think that Part of it is our use of, of course, minimal EMS and also minimal blue light at night. It calms him down. And I, I see the difference when I go to my in-laws and uh, they keep everything open, the bright lights, and then Elliot is running around excited. Of course, you think, I mean, it's not bedtime. <laughs> you want to run around. And it's like, oh, it's I'm in the middle of the day. It's noon right now. So right, artificial doesn't calm you down. So even as part of your routine, kind of cut out all light exposure one, two hours before bed. As far as looking at devices, even looking at TV, watching Netflix at night, I use blue blockers. So blue blocking glasses, I mean. So I have one company that I recommend and I use for myself. It's called Raw Optics, RA Optics. There's a lot of them, uh, blue blocks, Swannies. Uh, there's a lot of glasses and you do look a little bit funky with them, but I like to think it's going to become a new trend. <laughs> I have three or four pairs of blue blocks myself, and they're actually quite nice. They've actually done a really good job with the aesthetic as well as the function. You look a bit like, a, I don't know, a designer or, someone, or an artist. Or... I actually got my yellow pair right here. Oh, man. the yellow like pair. Yeah, there you go. I'm rocking them. This is actually my kids. So my, my kids will wear them if they watch TV or if they do anything late at night, computer-wise, for school. Exactly. And this is my mentality as well. As Right now, Elliot will probably destroy them yeah, if yeah. I <laughs> try to have him at one year and a half. But maybe at three years old, we want to watch a movie together. Or You can also use different software programs yeah. on your computer to uh, reduce the blue light. There's uh, F.Locks. There's the Iris software that I prefer that has full capabilities kind of change. My screen is always a bit orange and people ask me in coffee shops, hey, what's up with your screen? Is it broken? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, it reduces your eye strain. And actually people who write all day, I mean, I'm an author, I'm in front of a computer for several hours every day. And when I go back to a computer that doesn't have these filters on and that doesn't have these softwares that make it 
way more orange, I just feel the burn. I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is yep. too bright for me. And my wife did the same thing on her cell phone. You have the night shift, but on Apple, for example, that you can keep all day. And people who do it for a while, one, two days, they cannot go back. They realize that the blue light was a bit too much. So again, this is reduction, not elimination. Elimination of blue light would be to go in, in the middle of Africa where you have zero light pollution. I don't even know if, if such a place exists. You, you have light pollution that's basically everywhere on the planet. When you look at the satellites, pictures of the earth, you, you know what I'm saying. So it's hard to avoid, but you can reduce your own exposure. And then if you have this darn lamppost that was just installed near my condo, well, you wear your blue blockers and then I feel an immediate difference. The moment I don't use my blue blockers, I could stay up until midnight. I realized that a few days ago and I was like, well, I'm so stimulated tonight. Like, I don't, I don't feel sleepy at all. And we were at another place doing things. I forgot my blue blockers and I could stay up. I could play video games. I could waste my time until 1 a.m. and be like, oh, maybe I'll go to sleep. And uh, when I put my blue blockers, 9.30, I'm starting to uh, want to sleep on the floor almost. So it really makes a difference that you can feel. I think that's something in our life hygiene that needs to become kind of the new normal. And, and that way we don't feel weird when <laughs> we all look like Bono. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So one thing you, you said in there that's important to just acknowledge for the listener is like this adherence to blocking EMF and blue light for your children. I think there's a massive correlation now with poor emotional regulation, ADD, ADHD, and this exposure to EMF and blue light and inhibiting people's ability to get into deep sleep and REM sleep. And if they can't do that, they're literally disrupting their brain's emotional regulation and then contributing to, like you say, all these hyperactivity disorders that are so prominent in society right now. So everyone who thinks they're having a hard time sleeping, have a hard time with anxiety and depression, the first thing that you go after in my eyes is you go after these EMFs and uh, blue light and then, okay, let's get that fixed because that's foundational. And then maybe there's, there's chemical stuff happening there as well. But going after these foundational things just to allow your brain and your nervous system to start healing and calming down a little bit. That's a great point. And you know, there's one researcher who made that link between ADHD-like symptoms and EMFs. It's uh, Dr. Hugh Taylor from Yale University. So it's not anyone. And in 2012, he did a study, basically exposed pregnant mice during the duration of their pregnancy to uh, the equivalent of a standard cell phone, what it emits. And their offspring had behavioral changes, basically, compared to other pregnant mice that were not exposed and had normal offspring. So the offspring of the irradiated mice had changes that really looked like ADHD. And there's two major studies in the last five years that also found a strong correlation between mother use of cell phone during pregnancy and the likeliness that their children will have environmental allergies. I think it might be related pollen-related allergies, possibly because of disruption of the immune system, for all I know. And the second thing was ADHD-like symptoms. And we know that it's an epidemic level right now. And we know that most pregnant moms do not really look at these things. They're, they're not told by public authorities, do not put that cell phone right next to your belly. Do not put a laptop on the shelf, the new shelf that you're growing called the giant belly, right? So it's very important during pregnancy or if you have young children to also be wary of these things. Start informing yourself. I think staying calm about the issue because it is, I've been at this for more than three years. It is nerve racking a little bit because of global exposure, because of things you might hear on the internet. Is it extremely dangerous? Is it doom and gloom? What is the danger? There's a lot of gray areas. We're only left guessing what is the real consequence. But what you can do as a parent is that once you learn that, just like when you learned that exercise was important, when you learned that diet was important, when you learned that blue light was important, well, once you know, you do better. And you can choose for your children what you think is the right amount of VMS. And for a lot of parents, it's starting by turning off the Wi-Fi at night or even turning off the Wi-Fi when it's not in use. If you have a toddler that doesn't use any Wi-Fi devices and you have no one at home, maybe the nanny comes over at home during the day, well, turn off that darn Wi-Fi. You don't need it. So making sure that you're aware that these machines that are ubiquitous around your environment are emitting these signals, just 
turning them off when you don't use them might make a bunch of difference. And then I guess there's something also that goes beyond the scope of my work, but that's very important. It's screen time, Ben. Uh, it's just the fact, even if we say, okay, now we fix the EMF problem, the device is on airplane mode. Well, if you give children an iPad, even without the signal, even without the blue light, for all I know, it's the addiction, addictive properties of games and using a screen instead of using your eyes to see the world and do other things with your life. So we're, there's a, one author that you might want to talk to if you're interested in on your podcast is Dr. Victoria Dunkley. And she authored a book called Reset Your Child's Brain a few years back. And she clearly showed in her medical practice that these children that came in with all sorts of issues, everything you can think of, ADHD, even food allergies, or just things that parents couldn't figure it out. What is wrong with my kid? Violence, behavioral problems, isolation, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. Well, in most cases, she could greatly reduce them in some instances, eliminate these symptoms and have just normal kids, healthy, normal kids, just by going off all screens for 60 to 90 days, I think. So something ridiculous. I mean, a few months. It was difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's it's for some families listening to this. They're like, oh, no, it's impossible. Are you kidding me? Like my child will be in 10. Right. We do it, man. My kids don't get iPad. They don't get phone. They don't get TV. We probably do TV once a month, right? There you go. So it's going to be something similar for me. And just keep in mind that the new guidelines from the American Academy for Pediatrics are now very, very reduced compared to before. They basically don't recommend screen time before two. And between two and five, if I can recall correctly, I cannot find it in my documents. It is minimal use with the kids, explaining to them what is it that they're seeing. If it's an educational game, play it with them, be it something interactive, not the kid in his corner playing for six hours or not plugging the kid in front of the TV so you can do something else. I am tempted to do these things, especially at one year and a half. Sometimes he's running around kind of displacing objects in the home, making me run around. I'm not- it's very easy to put him in front of a TV because he's a babysitter. Yeah, it would be simple. I would get some time to check emails or relax for a second. But again, it is not how your children will develop into very healthy and developed human beings. I think the science is there. Yeah, one thing I'll tell you, man, is I think one of the best things for children in all human development is boredom, right? Silence and boredom. Uh, be honestly, right? What happens when you're bored? You start thinking, you start becoming creative, right? You start going, like, what should I do with my time? And the more you experience this quote unquote boredom, maybe your brain starts coming up with new ways to occupy your time, new ways to keep you thinking, right? Rather than every time I'm bored, I immediately have some immediate fix. I immediately have some gratification from the phone, from the computer, whatever it is. I think boredom is extremely important to the development of the human curiosity and creativity creativity that we just take for granted, right? I'm sure when you were a child, and I know I was, there was times when I was outside, I had no idea what to do. And I would just see something, I'm like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that. And it wasn't like I immediately have, you know, a game or a phone or a TV or whatever to occupy my boredom, right? Occupying your brain is one of the worst things for brain development because there's no time to think and to ruminate in your thoughts and just allow your brain to exist. I think that's something that most parents should acknowledge the, the true benefit there. That's so important what you've said. And, you know, there's an addiction expert that that came on a, an online summit lately, the 5G crisis summit I've been listening to. And this addiction expert, I cannot re- recall his name, he clearly stated that, well, back in the days when you were waiting in line at the grocery store, when you were waiting in line at the doctor, you had time with yourself. And I was like, oh, my God, that's profound. It's like... Even if you felt, oh, I have boredom right now. Uh, This is, uh, what do I want? Okay, yeah, I'll kind of go through my shopping list for the grocery store. And uh, what did Jim say to me? Did I like that? It's kind of self-reflection that we didn't think it's important. But right now, what you see happening, people wait on the subway train. Most of them are distracting their mind, not really engaging in something particular. Yeah, kind of scrolling the infinity of social. 
one more added thought on that, right, is what are you doing when you're mindlessly surfing on your phone or you're mindlessly on your computer? You're often repressing thoughts of stress or anxiety or fear that exist, and you're burying that stuff. And every time it comes up, instead of addressing it right away, you bury it and you bury it deeper and you bury it deeper. And eventually it becomes the dragon that comes back to eat you, right? You know, to give, to give like the Jordan Peterson reference, you know, everyone keeps sweeping the dragon under the rug. And, and eventually that dragon becomes really, really big and comes out back to bite you. And I think that's a big problem in society, right? Everyone needs to have the radio on in the car, the phone on when they're not doing anything, and they're not able to sit there and sit with their fears and their anxiety and their stress when it's really little. And then it becomes really big and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I'm going to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack because I never dealt with these little itty bitty things when I should have because I was too busy being mindless, right? And again, I'm not a psychologist, but that if you think through that, and there, I mean, I've obviously read a lot about this stuff. It's a very huge problem in society. So again, not to preach to the listeners, but Nick, man, this is awesome. I think the information you're putting out is the best I've ever heard. You know, Dr. McCullough does a really good job, but but he talks at a really high level sometimes. And you're just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So you did a really good job of kind of taking us down that path and explaining every little intricate detail. Nick, where do people find more from you and get in touch with you and your program? The emfguy.com, or you just type my name, Nick Pino, but Pino, most people don't know how to spell that <laughs> sure. out and it's French. So they kind of struggle with it. They never find me. So the emfguy.com, you'll find a link to my book. It's on Amazon. It's called The Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMF. There's a course, there's a bunch of things. And the next step for me, kind of inspired by a lot of interviews I've heard lately, kind of listening to you on the Paul Check podcast. And I want to start a wider discussion on conscious tech. And I don't know if that's going to be the title of my new podcast. I'm working on it in, within early 20 2020, I think it's going to be launched. And I want to go further than EMS, you know, because again, you eliminate EMS from a phone, you, you still have isolation from social media, you still have addiction, you still have the issues of blue light. So kind of talking about our relationship with technology. So I just want to put it out there. That's uh, something I'm working on. If people want to follow me about that and they like the idea or just propose the name of certain people I could interview, but I'm very excited to kind of Talk about safe technology because I know, you know, technology is not going anywhere. We're in this post-internet technological age where so many things are happening at once. And I think that we cannot catch our breath to realize what it's doing to us. And do we really want our cell phone to be the boss or do we want ourselves to be the boss? What is the consequences of these things? You know, so in exploring, the last thing, it was just a personal comment, Ben, because it's something you taught me by talking with Paul Jack lately uh, on it, on his podcast a few months back. It's doing deep breathing, but with your kids. I did that with Elliot a few days back, thinking about what you said, kind of calming them down. My wife has even got on board kind of telling Elliot, we're going to do the breathing. And now I just sit down, I do my five minute box breathing. And he's just like, when I say, hey, Elliot, you want to do breathing is like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he's starting to make these little noise. He loves it. Yeah, it's just sitting in your lap, right? Shirt off, sitting in your lap, and they can feel your breath and your heart in your back, right? And it's just like to get them to teach this beautiful internal coping strategy, right? It really is a great mechanism of connecting them. So one person that you may want to speak to, or at least look up in the meantime for your conscious tech thought process is Tristan Harris. Do you know Tristan Harris? Yes, I heard about him yeah. and uh, he's doing important work. And it, being an industry insider, talking about the way that cell phones were designed to be addictive and how we can do things better. I think it's uh, he's really on the on the cutting edge of starting this discussion and adding a little bit of the human factor in the way we design cell phones and technology or else society is just like people are becoming robots. No one is really happy about that. I mean, yeah, it might increase the revenue of certain businesses, but in the end, on a human standpoint, everyone feels like it's kind of off our relationship with self. Everyone is kind of too addicted, too stressed out, and everyone would be better off if we start following these, these new ideas around conscious tech use. Yeah, are you using any EMF blocking clothes yet? Have you dove into the pants and the shirts and the, the, the tinfoil hats yet? 
<laughs> a little bit. That's a good one. But yeah, boxers is something that I've talked with a few scientists. Some of them are very conservative to do product recommendations. They're like, oh, no, we don't have proof that this blah, blah, blah. But in the end, having EMF blocking boxers in a day and age where the sperm counts are dropping extremely fast and the richest, most developed, most technological addicted nations, it's intelligent, and especially about the body of evidence that shows that you should not keep a phone in the pocket. For example, there's a Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic. You have researchers there, very mainstream outlets that say eh, there's a strong link with sperm count reduction and all sorts of different factors that are considered healthy in sperm. So I've played around with the EMF blocking boxers. I don't have a brand that I recommend yet. Yeah, my buddy out of Germany, I'll connect you with him. Uh, his name's Andreas. He's got KTC Labs, I think is his name of his brand. Again, they're not, they're not publicly available yet, but they're awesome. So I think there's only four of us in the world that have these EMF blocking pants right now. We got, got the prototype. They're amazing, man. They did a really great job. Like they actually look good. And, and he suggests just, you know, I got them because Dr. McCullough is another person who has them. He says, you must wear them when you're flying yeah. on an airplane because the amount of EMF going through your body. And then he actually has a grounding attachment as well. And uh, awesome. Yeah, beautiful design, really, really effective pants. So uh, I'll connect you. All right, Nick, thank you so much for your time, buddy. I really appreciate it and look forward to hearing more from you in the future and hopefully connect it again when you do your Conscious Tech Podcast. Sounds good, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents. Hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Nick Pinot. Thank you, Nick, so much for joining me and giving us all this incredible information. So as far as vetting this information, I know a lot of people say, oh, EMF's not going to do anything bad. Or other people say, gosh, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us. I've got some pretty great resources that I can rely on at the highest level who's getting uh, really, really great information, at least not to disclose anything about who it is or what it is. But I really believe that 5G is something that we should all be concerned with and aware of. And if you can avoid it, do so. This is really going to potentially negatively implicate a lot of different things in health. The last thing I want to see is all of us being so attached to having fast speeds in the internet that we compromise the longevity of our family and of ourselves and ultimately introduce neurological diseases and I think potentially things like cancer as well. And again, I'm not an expert, but it seems like those things are almost inevitable with the disruption of the nervous system and the frequencies and the voltage-gated calcium channels of the body, which has tremendous implications as uh, the previous episode, previous guest, Dr. McCullough has mentioned. So again, guys, I, I would take this seriously. And some of the things you can do right now to protect yourself, certainly as Nick mentions, turning off your Wi-Fi during the day, getting a case for your phone, never, ever holding it against your face, uh, picking up a pair of the tube headphones, the ones that just have an air tube that runs into your ear, which is exactly what I'm wearing at this very moment. And really just paying attention to your exposures. If you're in a hotel room, unplug the Wi-Fi. If you can be out in nature more often, get out there, right? Get away from those places that are just riddled with multiple 5G connections. And especially if you have children, guys, like make a commitment to yourself and your family and longevity of their existence. And unplug the Wi-Fi after 6 p.m. You know, nobody needs that when they're sleeping. There should certainly be times when it's not on or around. And it's really as simple as, as making the plug accessible and turning it off. Or you can also put it on automatic timers where it's just not allowed during those times. And getting as far away from the EMF box as you can or the, the Wi-Fi boxes. If you have a 5G tower near you, finding some ways to block the room, like Nick mentions, is, is imperative. And I think... So if anyone's ever spent any time out in nature, you know definitively you feel different. You feel better. Your energy is better. Your resonance is better. Just the way the body feels is better. So strongly consider doing some of the measures that Nick mentions in this podcast. I hope you guys absolutely love the show. And I'm so grateful for you being here now and coming back every Monday and Thursday as myself and the Muscle Maven bring you the greatest information that we can to help you live an amazing life in a body you love. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.